If you have your Bibles, we're continuing on through the book of Philippians. We land in chapter 4, verse 9 verses. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. I will be reading from English Standard Version. This is Paul. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord and my beloved. I entreat Eudodia, I entreat Synthica to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, what's up, King's Cross Church? Uh, So we're getting to the final chapter of Philippians. Uh, We're in chapter 4. And before we get started, I want you guys to think about a time uh, that you said goodbye to somebody. You know, in those moments, right before you say goodbye, uh, oftentimes your mind is flooded with uh, final instructions, encouragements, uh, things that you want them to know. Uh, Perhaps if you're a parent, it's dropping off your kids uh, for the first day of school, right, and you run through a checklist. Um, Maybe you're dropping off a friend at an airport, right, and you want to let them know some things before they go. Uh, Maybe... It's the end of the school year, and uh, you want to write a message in their yearbook. I don't know if they still have yearbooks, but if they have yearbooks. um, You know, and that reminded me of a story. When I was young, uh, one thing that I always wanted to do was uh, to go spend the night at one of my friend's houses. Uh, My mom, she never let me spend a night. But finally, it was middle school, and... Um, she had agreed. She had agreed. So a couple of friends were getting together uh, to go uh, to sleep over at one of our friends' houses. And, you know, like moms do, she went through a checklist of things that I had to make sure to do. So as I was getting ready to go, she's like, do you have your toothbrush? I was like, yes, mom. Uh, do you have a change of clothes? I'm like, yes. Are you going to be warm enough? I'm like, yes. And as I'm getting my bag, my friend, his uncle, has picked up all of our friends. He's waiting outside. I'm trying to run out the door. And she says, wait, one last thing. And she runs to the refrigerator. She grabs a gallon of milk, and she gives it to me. And and I said, okay, mom. And then I I took this milk, and she said, make sure you drink your milk. And I said, okay. Uh, And, you know, I, I went outside. I got in the car, my friends, middle school students, they're just staring at me. Like, why did you bring this gallon of milk with you, right? And they just started laughing. And I said, you know what? Uh, My mom thought it was really important uh, to drink my milk. So uh, to this day, 
when I see that friend, he's, he's still a best friend of mine, uh, he always asks me, wherever, if, we, if we're on a trip together, if we're sleeping over somewhere, he's like, did you drink your milk? The irony in that story is actually today I'm you know, lactose intolerant, I can't drink milk. Um, but you know, for my mom, that was one of the most important things that night that she wanted to convey to me to make sure that you know, for her to be healthy, have a son who's healthy and strong and is growing is to make sure he drinks his milk. Now, you know, th that's just a simple story. But I think a lot of you guys can relate with that feeling of wanting to say those final instructions, that final encouragement, right? And that's going to take us to scripture today. Because when we enter into chapter 4 of Philippians, the series that we've been going through, uh, Paul, in a very loving way, is giving his final instructions and encouragement to the church. Uh, right now, here I've got outlined for us today. Uh, if you guys are taking notes, I like to try to be organized. So, you know, this section is going to be titled just the final instructions and the final encouragements. And I think scripture today is going to go through three points with us today. So we're going to look at how Paul urges the church to have the same mind and what that looks like. Uh, we're going to look at his encouragement to not be anxious. And lastly, his encouragement, uh, which I think really fits uh, with uh, Corey's announcement today, with what it means to embrace the culture that you're in, and uh, but to do it with Christian discernment. So that's the three points that we're going to look at today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please, we're going to be looking verse by verse today uh, through these nine verses. Uh, so you guys can turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. As you guys get there, let me give you guys a little bit of context. Um, our pastors have been doing a great job of going through and giving us a little bit of context. Uh, if you're new today, and if you're just joining us for the first time, let me just give us a little bit of context of what's going on. So the Philippian church is a Gentile church um, that was planted by Paul. And Paul is writing them a letter from prison. Now, you know, letters in the Bible aren't just, you know, like pen pal letters, but there's an occasion uh, that's happening at the church, and Paul needs to instruct them, right? So there's some kind of problem, there's some kind of misteaching, and Paul is really trying to correct or encourage them. The question is, what is the occasion that's happening at the Philippian church? Uh, when I was in seminary, I think one illustration that was really helpful in uh, understanding the epistles and the letters in the New Testament is to think about an illustration of a phone call, right? I think all of us has done this before, right? We've kind of eavesdropped on a conversation, right? And as we read through Philippians, we're seeing one side of a phone conversation, right? And we could start to, you know, kind of piece together maybe what is the occasion or why, what is the purpose of why Paul is writing this letter. You know, when we can start to piece together this information, um, we start to get a, a fuller picture of what is actually happening. We look for repetition, words that are kind of emphasized, things that Paul is saying repeatedly. Uh, some of the things that he said throughout Philippians so far is have the same mind continually. He continually reminds them to rejoice. 
he tells them that the peace of God will be with you guys, right? And, and the question is, why is he saying all of these things, right? And we can piece that together and see that maybe the problem and one of the occasions that was happening in the church was the church didn't have the same mind. A lot of disunity happening. People were arguing, perhaps. People didn't rejoice, right? I think Pastor John said that uh, Paul repeats rejoice, rejoice over 16 times in Philippians, right? And maybe the people at the church weren't rejoicing. They were filled with anxiety, uncertainty, uh, maybe oppression from society. And Paul reminds them that the peace of God is with you. They're going through trials and suffering and life just seems really, really chaotic. Well, how many of us today, you guys could just nod your head, are going through some of these things? Disunity, fighting, in the workplace, at home, with your friends. How many of us today are anxious, uncertain of our future, maybe kind of losing hope? How many of us are going through real trials and sufferings today? See, every one of us today is going through one of these things or have come out of a season where we've experienced these things or maybe in the future we're stepping into a season. And the remarkable thing about scripture is that the same message that Paul is preaching to the church in Philippi is the same message that he's preaching to King's Cross today. A very applicable message, even though there's 2,000 years uh, that has spanned since the time of this letter. God's word is truly timeless and a gift to us. Amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and let's jump to the first point. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 to 3 and Paul's encouragement for the church to have unity. So let me just read for us. Therefore, my brother... Whom, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So on our slide today, you can see that I highlighted, as we look through these verses, uh, two verbs. Uh, stand firm, Paul says. And he says to agree. These are two things. And um, both of these words are kind of language that you use in the context of unity. The word, the Greek word for agree here is also used previously in Philippians. Uh, but the way that it's been translated into English previously, same Greek word is have the same mind, right? So what he's saying is really have the same mind. And if you've been with us, you'll notice that this is a word that's been repeated, right? In chapter 1, verse 21, I'm sorry, chapter uh, 1, verse 27, Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 2, again, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, right? The same agreeance. Have the same love, being full accord and in one mind. 
Okay, and, 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 and later in chapter 2, he goes on to show how we are to have the same mind. He says, look at Christ's humility. We'll get back to that in a little bit. But again, this is the language of unity. Well, one question as, as we're kind of looking through these verses is what was causing uh, the dis, uh, disunity or the disagreement between these two uh, church leaders, right? And the answer is we, we don't really know the full details, right? We can kind of speculate a little bit. Some of the things that Paul does is, number one, he doesn't take sides. You'll see that he says, I entreat, or in other translations, I plead with uh, Eudoia and uh, Sintichi. He says it to both of them, right? He's not taking sides. He's saying that it's not really about who's right or wrong. We also can uh, get a clue and insight to their disagreement that uh, it probably wasn't a personal disagreement. You know, someone's feelings were not hurt or they were not wronged personally because Paul says to, you know, find the same mind and agreeance in the Lord, right? So this gives us a clue that it's probably something related to the church and that it was gospel related. Uh, we also know from the context of chapter 3 that um, one of the problems that the church was facing was the problem of this teaching from Jewish Christians that was coming in and saying that, you know, you guys have to do certain Jewish rituals and you guys have to do certain things uh, in order to be good Christians, right? And possibly some commentary, uh, commentaries say that, uh, you know, one, one person was in this view and the other was in this view. But again, let me point out to us today that it's not important what the disagreement was, uh, but that scripture is calling all of his people to be of the same mind and really fight against division. Now, you know, this is as important for us today as it was for the church back then, right? Um, whether you're just visiting us, uh, you've got a different church. I think, you know, if you've been in the church long enough that you'll see that one of the things that, you know, really can attack the church is disunity and division, uh, we are all humans. We all struggle with sin, the sin of pride, the sin of uh, not forgiving others, uh, thinking that we know what's best. But let me remind you guys today again that Paul, uh, he's not taking sides. Uh, he doesn't really care about who's right or wrong in this situation, but he's reminding us that, you know, Christ is um, our God he is who we are to worship, and through him, because of him, we can have unity. Well, you know, the question then is, you know, how, then how practically can we do this? Um, if Paul points us back to chapter 2, and chapter 2 is all about looking to Christ's humility, Paul says to not only look to your interests, but look to the interests of others. Right, just as Christ has done that for us, you know, uh, uh, about a month ago, Pastor Paul, uh, Pastor Paul, Pastor John, um, preached on uh, chapter two, and let me quote. He, he said something that I really, really liked. He said, "You know, when we look at Christ's humility, he says Jesus is not just the model, not just an example to follow, but he's so much more." Right? And what did he mean by that? You know, sometimes it's easy just to say that, you know, do the things that Jesus does, right? Uh, and look to his example. But, you know, when, when John said that he was so much more, 
you know, it's really pointing to the fact that Jesus is the enabler of our good works. He's not just an example. See, Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself to come live with us, living a perfect life, serving and loving his enemies, all of us who were in rebellion against God. And then he dies on the cross for us uh, so that we could become uh, sons and daughters of the living God. And when we could start to grasp the truth of the gospel and who uh, Jesus is and what he has done, then our, our reaction, you know, God does something to our heart through the Holy Spirit really to kind of humble us, uh, to really love and to forgive and to live in unity with one another. So Jesus is much more than a model. He's, uh, you know, he's the enabler. Now think about practically how this plays out in uh, maybe the church context. Uh, Paul is talking to Christians, you know, and a lot of us, again, have been hurt by uh, the church when we see churches arguing or church division uh, maybe we see disagreement we see judge, uh, judging in the church or we see you know people gossiping in the church right what would it look like if you know uh, churches would really strive for this same mindedness based in the humility of Christ How, what would this look like in homes practically for families Right? Um, you know, husbands and uh, wives, you know, did you guys argue this week? Right? And maybe it's a small disagreement. Maybe it's a long, ongoing disagreement that you're having at home, right? But, you know, as husbands and wives who are centered in the gospel, right, uh, what does it look like to have the same mind? And, you know, the same thing can be applied to our workplaces and our coworkers and our friends, especially with those who know Christ. Uh, what does it look like to stand firm in unity? And I, I think that's a great application to look at this week. Uh, let's go ahead and let's look at the second encouragement. Paul encourages uh, the church to not be anxious. Let me read first. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Again, so if we're listening to this conversation kind of like we're eavesdropping, we see that you know Paul is still using that word rejoice. He's telling them, reminding them to be happy, to find joy in the Lord. And again, we can piece together and say, well, they're probably not happy. They're worried about a lot of things. They're anxious. Uh, they're being persecuted as a church. Maybe they're losing hope. And Paul says this, don't be anxious. He's reminding them, don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, here supplication is like a heart petition arising out of a deep personal need. He says, with that in thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You know, for Christians, uh, there's a very, uh, something very special that's happening here. When we take our worries and we present them to God, this is the language of relationship. See, you take your worries to someone you can trust, Right? When things are kind of out of our control and we can't do, and, you know, do something about it, we take our worries to someone we can trust. 
And ultimately, we are reminded that you can rejoice and not be anxious because God loves you. And my question is, do you believe that? Gordon Fee, in one of his commentaries, says, uh, Jesus invites his followers to live without anxiety because their heavenly Father knows and cares for them. See, our anxieties, our worries really reveal something about our relationship with trust and with God. Again, let me quote Gordon Fee in his commentary. He says that the reality is that our anxiety tells us our apprehension, our fear marked the life of the unbelieving, the untrusting, for whom all the present is all there is and for who the present is uncertain. Anxiousness for Christians uh, is an indicator of what we're trusting in and who we're trusting in. Have you ever met a Christian that's going through real suffering and uncertainty, um, but can still rejoice and trust in God? You know, an example is, you know, uh, we've been announcing for a couple of weeks uh, how one of our uh, families at our church, uh, Connie and Changwon, and uh, that they've been going through cancer uh, the second time. Connie shared with us a few weeks ago. And if you ever hear her speak or you talk to her, uh, amidst the real present suffering and all of the anxieties, she still radiates this deep, peace and trust in the Lord. And it's because she knows that our Heavenly Father knows and cares for her. Now the question we should reflect on is, do you, church, believe the same? Prayer takes us from being in control to down on our knees, petitioning God and thanking God. It puts the control into his hands. And I think scripture is reminding us, would you give up the control of your anxieties and trust in God? Paul says, if we get into the habit of doing this, the habit of bringing our um, worries to God, that God, that the God of peace will guard our hearts. Now, that's interesting that the reality is that, you know, Paul doesn't say, scripture doesn't say here that, you know, God will always answer and deliver us. But what scripture does promise is something much greater. He says that when we can bring these things to God, that he will bring his peace into our hearts so that we can navigate the difficulties of life. Well, how can we trust? How can we trust uh, that God will do this? You know, how, how can we not be anxious? How can we trust? That's a big question to ask in these verses. And the answer is because God has already seen to our greatest need. See, we are all facing, our, our greatest anxiety is that we are all facing death and judgment, separation eternally from God. This is our number one anxiety. But God has already seen to that by sending his son Jesus to make a way. 
John 3.16, I'm reminded of God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, that, you know, whoever would believe in him shall not die, sh- wouldn't perish, but will have eternal life. You see, if God has graciously saved us through Christ, we can entrust and we can trust that God will uh, bring us peace and help deal with the present sufferings and anxieties that we go through. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to the third point. Uh, we're going to look at, lastly, the last couple of verses uh, we're going to read through, and um, Paul's going to encourage the church to embrace culture with discernment. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if uh, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What Paul is saying here is maybe a little bit less clear, I think, in the English translation. Because if we look at the English, it seems like Paul is generally giving the impression uh, that we should give our mind and thoughts to nobler things. And this is true, in a sense, but he's doing a little bit more than that. And to kind of grasp that, we're going to look at two things. We have to look at, again, a little bit of the historical context of the time, and we're going to look a little bit at the Greek. Okay, so the, the, original, the original language. So I highlighted especially this word right here for you guys when he says, think about these things. But before we look at that, let's go and look at the context. So, you know, Paul is speaking in the context of a, a Greco-Roman world with all of the Greek wisdom all of the Greek philosophies, all of the Greek teachings. And when he says in verse 8, when he says, do what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, uh, anything worthy of praise, this is Greek uh, philosophy and and language that he's talking. Um, You know, an example for us is if we look, we all live in Korea. A lot of us have grown up in Asian households, right? But what is one of the philosophies or, or kind of the, the teachings of this culture or this time, you know, it's Confucianism, right? We've all heard, uh, respect your elders, obey your parents, uh, submit and obey, uh, you know, people in authority, right? Uh, and we know that type of teaching and that type of culture has been kind of immersed in us, right? And just like that's immersed in us, for the Greeks um, or for the church in uh, Philippi, they know when Paul is saying, uh, you know, to do these things, that he's really speaking in, in their language and in their culture. And he takes all of those things and he says, these are good things. And then he says this verb right here, think about these things. The, the verb in the Greek here is, um, if I could find it, logizmai. And logizmai can also, uh, it's the root of the English word for logic or logical. Uh, it can mean to dwell on these things. It can mean to take into account these things, to properly kind of compute or reason to a logical conclusion. Right? So do all of these things that you know the culture is teaching, but take these things into account and weigh them or compute them against verse 9. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen me do and practice. So what he's really saying is, um, Paul is taking the context and the teaching of the time, 
and uh, merging it and saying, embrace the culture that you're in, but do it with a Christian worldview. It's a message about embracing the culture, uh, but discerning it with an eye and our foundation uh, in Christ. Now, what's interesting is our tendency, I think, sometimes as Christians is usually to reject um, things that are maybe not Christian, right? We make a divide. We say this is secular. Uh, this is Christian, right? But Paul here, is, he doesn't make that divide. You know, we look at things like arts, media, music, the workplace, politics, you name it. And we, we say this is Christian, this is not. But Christian um, scripture, I think, is really teaching us not to just reject those things. But we take the things that are good uh, and honorable and we look into those things, but with this discerning eye. Let me just read a couple more quotes for you. Gordon Fee says that they, the Philippian church, embrace what is good wherever they find it, including the culture which they are most intimately familiar with, but that they do it in a discriminating way, the key to which is the gospel Paul had long ago shared with them and lived for them about a crucified Messiah whose death on a cross served both to redeem them, but also to reveal the character of God into which they are continually being transformed. He also goes on to say that the most common response uh, to such a culture uh, is not discrimination, but what we usually do is we reject it. But he says that scripture is showing us a new way, uh, the t- the, that, test, that this text suggests a better way, that we would approach the marketplace, the arts, the media, the universities, Uh, by looking for what is true and uplifting and admirable, uh, but to do it with a discriminating eye and heart for which the crucified one serves as the template. Uh, In seminary, one of my favorite theologians uh, that I got to study a little bit was a man named Abraham Kuyper. He lived over a little, uh, over a hundred years ago. Uh, And his contributions have been especially highlighted in his work on his public theology. Really interesting, he was a pastor, a journalist, newspaper founder, later became a professor. Uh, He established his own university. Later, he became uh, involved in politics, a member of the parliament. And then he was the prime minister of the Netherlands, right? And his passion in working out his theology was to faithfully engage the culture uh, through a Christian worldview. One of my favorite quotes by uh, Kuiper is this, uh, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. You know, an application for this is that scripture's uh, encouraging us to be a part of the culture that we are in now, to find the God-honoring things in it, uh, and so much application, so much purpose for our jobs, our roles, the things that we do, for our hobbies and our interests, uh, you know, in the arts, right? If you love, uh, you know, media and content creation, Uh, If you love music, 
you know, if you're a rapper, if you're a graffiti artist, um, your jobs as teachers, parents, uh, businesses, right? If you're into politics, whatever they may be, Paul is encouraging that uh, through Scripture, Scripture is encouraging that to engage in these things, knowing that Christ is sovereign over all, uh, and he's crying that even these things are mine. Uh, Philippians 4 has encouraged and instructed us to do three things, to have the same mind, to trust uh, in God, and don't be anxious, uh, to engage culture. The last question is, how do we do, again, I love answering, how do we do all of these things? Uh, do we just try harder? Do we just try harder to have the same mind, try harder to not be anxious, try harder this week uh, to engage culture? Um, Try harder is not the answer. Let me just share with you guys the gospel. Uh, the gospel is this, that we live in a world that has uh, been broken by sin. It's invaded every aspect of humanity. Uh, we are prone to argue and disagree, not love one another. Uh, we see division uh, in our society. Uh, we're filled with more anxiety today, probably than ever before. And we shy away from uh, culture. We look around and everything is a mess. And then we look deep inside of us and we realize, you know, there's parts of our life that's a mess too. Because of sin. Religion has taught us uh, that we need to do better, work harder, that our, our ultimately that our achievements are the things that are going to save us. Uh, let me remind us again, our, our brother Charles uh, said a few weeks ago in, in chapter 3 that when Paul looks at our achievements and our works, he says all of this is rubbish. An uh, illustration that I like to think about is when I look at uh, Genesis chapter 11, and many of you guys know the story of the Tower of Babel. Probably the greatest human achievement of the time. They were building a tower to reach the heavens. That was their plan. Uh, let me read for you verse 5. Whenever I read this verse, I, I kind of chuckle. There's a, there's a humor in it. They're building this tower, and in verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. They thought that they were reaching the heavens, but God had to come down just to see what they were doing. Their, their achievements were so minuscule compared to the glory and kind of what God requires. Well, this is the good news that, you know, uh, God does come down again, doesn't he? Jesus, fully man, fully God, comes down from his throne room and he lives uh, with his people to save his people. Not by requiring them to do anything, not by their achievements or their works, but simply to have faith in him and what he's going to do at the cross. Jesus came to do the works that we couldn't do. And he lived a perfect life. And at the cross, he sacrifices his life. He takes on our sins, our brokenness, and everything. So, uh, And he will be judged, and he takes the full wrath of God at the cross. And the good news, the reason we call the gospel the good news is that at the cross... The good news for us is that now, because of Jesus, 
we again could be counted as sons and daughters of the living God. Co-heirs with Christ and our God in heaven, our Father now knows and cares for us. Uh, church, let's pray. Uh, Father, we just thank you for your word today. As we look into this final chapter of uh, Philippians, Lord, we believe that, you know, this encouragement and the instructions are going to go out today because your word is powerful and is really going to minister to the hearts that need it. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would really empower us this week, not only to try harder, God, but so that, you know, that we would remember the gospel and that what Christ has done would really change our hearts so that we could go forth and be loving, that we could bring our worries and we could petition them with thanksgiving to you, God, and that you would show us areas through your Holy Spirit to really embrace culture uh, and to love uh, the place that you put us in right now, Lord God. So thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.